How vulnerable are supply chains to cyber attacks? Shipping demand continues to be sluggish and new tech for retailers. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Beckoff. Have the entire digital fulfillment center at your fingertips with automation by Beckoff. It's digital transformation done right. For more information, please visit beckoff.com slash intralogistics. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, safeguarding critical data should be one of the highest priorities of any supply chain operations. But just how vulnerable are supply chains to cyber attacks and data corruption? And what can we do to stop them? To find out, I spoke recently to one of the nation's leading experts in cybersecurity. Retired Major General Brett Williams is the former Director of Operations at the United States Cyber Command. That's a unified combatant command launched in 2010 to strengthen the Department of Defense's cyber capabilities and expertise. And while there, Major General Williams led a team of 400 people responsible for the global operations and protection of all Department of Defense computer networks, as well as the planning and execution of authorized offensive operations. After he retired from a 33-year military career, General Williams co-founded a business called IronNet Security, and he continues to be a consultant and sought-after expert in cybersecurity. Here now is my conversation with Brett Williams. Thank you, Brett, for joining us today on Logistics Matters. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, it's a pleasure, and uh, I'm uh, I'm privileged to be able to join you today to talk about uh, what I think is a, a very uh, important issue for your listeners. To begin, how did you move from being a military commander to a cybersecurity expert? Yeah, Dave, uh, I, I kind of kid, you know, I, I was in the Air Force for 33 years, 28 years. Um, I was an F-15 pilot, and then I uh, passed a highly selective screening process to move over into the uh, the IT and the and the cyber world. And I finished up at the United States Cyber Command. And so I had a pretty broad responsibility for uh, making sure DOD networks were defended as well as planning offensive operations. And and the, the reason I think that's relevant to, to the audience here is that, you know, when I moved into this space about 12 years ago, I, I didn't, other than a 1981 computer science degree from Duke, I didn't have any background in this. Um, but I put in the effort to to learn, uh, to get a little bit of technical expertise. And I, I think that concept's extremely important to the, the business leaders that are listening to this. They, they can't afford to um, delegate the risk decisions in this world of cybersecurity solely to the technical experts, whether they're in their company or they're outsourced. You know, they, they need to get some relevant knowledge in this field so that they can decide you know, what's appropriate for my company? What steps do I need to make sure are being taken? Uh, they need to be able to have, you know, uh, an intelligent conversation, I call it, uh, with whoever provides their cybersecurity uh, in the same way they have with, with everybody else on their leadership team. So I encourage them all to, to spend a little time to get familiar with these issues so they can ask the right questions and make sure the answers uh, that they're getting um, make sense and will protect their business. We continue to hear in the news about different breaches of security systems and this computer was hacked or that company 
face some sort of a ransomware. But what are the biggest threats currently to our information systems and where are they coming from? Yeah, there's two broad groups of threats out there. There's uh, what we refer to as the nation state threats. And for the United States, that uh, continues to be China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran, and then uh, the, the criminal groups that exist out there. Uh, but I think the most important thing for people to keep in mind is that uh, uh, they're no longer worried about uh, you know the, the teenager in his basement in a hoodie uh, that's hacking for fun. Uh, whether you're talking about nation state threats or you're talking about criminal groups, uh, these groups are well-resourced, they're well-trained, they have great expertise, they have great tools, and they are deploying those broadly. Uh, I would argue that there's no company of any size in any sector uh, that doesn't have to consider the possibility that they could face a very advanced type of cyber attack. And I think that's an issue that a lot of companies have is they think, well, I'm a small company. Why mm -hmm. would somebody want to come after me? But the threat is real for everybody, right? That, that's 100% right. And especially in the, uh, in the logistics business, you know, when we start talking about supply chains, et cetera, uh, every company that's part of that supply chain is a potential target. So that leads into the next question. In what ways are our supply chains under threat? Yeah, I would uh, I would encourage the, the folks listening to this podcast, Dave, to consider uh, supply chain in two ways uh, with regards to the, to the business that they're in is, is number one, I would call it a strategic issue, right? Where uh, as COVID has shown us, uh, this, this, the group of listeners uh, to this podcast have known this for a long time, but the COVID really brought supply chain into the, you know, the common vernacular and people understand that disruptions to supply chains are, are serious issues. Uh, and the other people that understand this are the people that would seek to potentially cause us harm, particularly those, those nation state threats I talked about. And they know that if they can interrupt uh, these national supply chains that impact our economy, that impact our, our security, that impact our ability to do logistics in, in the case we're talking about here, that they can cause significant internal uh, friction and they can really put us back on our heels if they can interrupt those supply chains. And so I encourage listeners of this podcast that, you know, no matter how small they think their company is, maybe you just... Maybe you just supply some software that helps people manage inventory, or maybe you're a very large uh, uh, trucking or rail company that coordinates deliveries all over the country or all over the world. Uh, you have a critical role in the supply chain that, that supports both our, our national economy and our, our national security. And these threats know that the smaller companies are the least well defended, yet at the same time, they're frequently a critical cog in this supply chain. So the first thing I would, I would ask folks to consider is that uh, you are part of our national security. Your ability to make this supply chain work and not bring risk to that supply chain, I would argue is a national security issue. And, and I would ask you to take it that seriously. If we bring down supply chain to a more, let's call it a tactical issue or at the company level, what you have to think about is that, you know, none of, none of the, None of these companies operates uh, alone. Uh, you have a supply chain, a quote unquote supply chain that you rely on to make your business run. And more than likely, you are part of a supply chain that makes another business run. And so as you look at your supply chain, you have to take it very seriously, particularly when you're sharing data or you're giving um, maybe these 3PL types of folks access to your systems. 
what kind of security are they maintaining and how do I know that they're maintaining that security and protecting my interests? At the same time, you have to realize that you have a responsibility when you're providing services to another company to do the same. Uh, you know, number one, you don't want to bring risk to their operation, but number two, uh, there can be some significant liability concerns uh, if you become the one who, who somehow exposes data or somehow interrupts the operations of that that company that you supply uh, goods or services to. So, so kind of a long answer there, but, uh, but this idea of supply chain, you know, has many meanings to many people, you know, and at that national level, it's about getting goods and services where they need to be on time to support our economy, to support our national security. And you're a critical part of that. And then at that more direct company level, think about the people that you rely on, what kind of information or what kind of risk are you essentially opening yourself to when you work with them and how are you making sure that risk is controlled? And then on the other side, who do you provide goods and services to? Whose data, what companies trust you with their data and how are you protecting that and making sure that you, know, you, don't, become, uh, you don't become the security risk for that other company that you have that very important business relationship with? Sure. And, and if you're, as you're saying, you feel that, that the threats to our supply chains are national security issues, what are the potential costs to our nation if our supply chains are disrupted in this way? I would argue there's, there's two costs, Dave. And actually, the cost that, that worries me more is kind of almost cultural, is that, you know, in the United States, we've gotten used to Amazon delivering tomorrow, if not this afternoon. Uh, you know, we've gotten the we've gotten used to be able to stream anything we want. We've gotten uh, used to the ability to communicate with almost whoever we want. And so what we've done is we've created a situation where where we're vulnerable to that and we're very sensitive to that. So as these supply chains are breached, our adversaries are not going to attack us in physical space in the South China Sea or someplace else directly. They're first going to come to the homeland, if you will. And they're going to try to impact supply chains that maybe affect healthcare, or maybe affect uh, finance, or affect the delivery of critical goods and services, or just get in and mess up things like our air traffic control system or the systems that control, uh, you know, trucking around the country. And so all of those have the impact of getting us to focus internally. They become political issues very quickly in our country, and more we focus internally, the less we're focused on those those threats. So that cultural issue to me is huge. And then there's the real issues of, you know, the stuff doesn't get to where it needs to be, right? And it affects our economic system, which affects our national security. And so uh, it, it's hard to think of anything that's much more important than the supply chains that, um, that our listeners support. Brett, can you share some examples of how some of these systems have been breached and what were the results of those breaches? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a couple of the, the recent ones in the last couple of three years that are may, mainly most relevant to this this audience was, uh, was the the attacks the not that was called not Petya, but I think everybody heard of the impact on Maersk, uh, the very large uh, uh, global shipping agency, and uh, that was literally billions of dollars in costs. And certainly, they weren't the only ones that bore the cost. Right, there were a lot of people relying on them, and so. Uh, so that was a system that was briefed uh, initially through what everybody's familiar with today, ransomware and extortion, where um, where their systems were locked up and they weren't able to uh, to do business like they normally do it. And we we saw how quickly that um, that cascaded through the the global supply chain. Uh, another example, which you may not immediately think is is relevant to this audience, was the 
the ransomware attack that happened against the Colonial uh, Pipeline. And the problem with that wasn't that they couldn't move oil in the pipeline anymore. It's they couldn't they couldn't account for, for where it went. It was essentially the distribution and billing system. They could continue to move oil safely, but they couldn't track how much went where, right? And so there's kind of a direct, uh, I think, analogy with you know folks that provide a lot of the services that your listeners do is that it's one thing to get the, the truck from point A to point B. It's another thing to make sure it gets invoiced correctly, it gets paid, and that the driver knows where they're going next, right? And so uh, those types of attacks, particularly ransomware and extortion, uh, if you look at this sector of the economy, about 25% of the attacks are these types of ransomware attacks. So, so starting with making sure you're protected against ransomware, uh, that you've got good basic hygiene in your systems. If you can make yourself just a slightly harder target than the next guy through some of these basic security practices, um, you can help protect yourself against those types of attacks. So what can supply chain managers do to make sure that they ensure the security of their systems and their supply chains against any kind of potential threat or cyber attack? Right. Well, um, there's three quick things that, that I would make sure that they do is, is one, they've got to identify their critical data. You know, what data, if it were exposed or manipulated or destroyed, or what system, if it went down, would have a strategic impact on their business. And so they have to prioritize their efforts to protecting those data and those systems. Uh, the second thing is, is that um, basic password security, two-factor authentication, the things people get very bored hearing about uh, are extremely important for basic security. And then number three, your best protection against ransomware is, is these two things, is making sure that you're very strict on identifying who has access to your systems and that you have these multiple ways of making sure that, that they authenticate who they are and only people authorized are in there. And then number two is that for all that critical data we had or all those systems we talked about, that you have good backups and these backups have to be done correctly. Uh, they can't be connected to your normal system every day because the bad guys get into the system, they immediately look for a backup and they corrupt that as well. So you really have to understand, A, are you doing these backups? And B, how are they managed? Are they separate, et cetera? And then I guess wrapping all that up is if you're the business leader in this company, whether you outsource this work or it's done internally by your staff, don't delegate the risk decisions. And in other words, you're not going to be the technical expert, but you need to know enough about it to make sure that I am mitigating the risk that's relevant to my company. And you know, here's what the investment I'm making in that is, and here's what the payoff is. And if you don't understand some of these basic terms and concepts, uh, you know, that will be very difficult to do. So I encourage them to get smart, ask questions, and be very active and understanding how their systems are protected from cyber attacks. That's very good advice. We've been talking to Brett Williams. He's a retired uh, Major General with the United States Air Force and formerly the Director of Operations at U.S. Cyber Command and now also the co-founder of IronNet Cybersecurity. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks very much, Dave. I enjoyed it. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, we've seen the slowdown in recent months of the trucking market, and you wrote this week about how carriers will continue in the early part of the year to compete for some of that more limited demand from shippers. Can you share some details? 
Sure, absolutely, Dave. So yeah, um, a slowing economy continues to affect the trucking sector. And um, as you say, we've seen falling demand for services since really the end of last year. That's driven by inflation, concerns of a recession, and a general sense of uncertainty in the economy. Um, an industry report out this week reinforced those issues, showing that, uh, as you say, carriers will continue to compete for limited demand, at least through the first quarter. This all comes from the Cowan AFS Freight Index, which is produced by Cowan Research and third-party logistics services provider AFS Logistics, and it was published this past Tuesday. Uh, the index is a forward-looking report on transportation industry conditions, and it's drawn from AFS Logistics' own data and predictions based on that information. Uh, the Q1 outlook uh, calls for continued slowing in transportation markets generally and conditions that are trending more favorably for shippers. But that's not the whole story. The analysis shows that the truckload sector will continue to slow, rates will fall there, while rates will likely increase for less than truckload and parcel shipments. And that's mainly because of some general rate increases and surcharges that carriers are using to try to boost revenue under these weaker overall economic conditions. Victoria, how does this match up to other recent trends or predictions that you've reported? Yeah, well, we've seen, as I said at the outset, a general slowing in demand for services. And I said since, you know, late last year, but really it extends back um, for the broader logistics industry since the middle of last year. And that was really a slowdown from what many have referred to as the unsustainable strong growth across the industry that we saw uh, during the pandemic. Uh, this is something we've been tracking via the monthly logistics managers index report. As I said, at the height of the pandemic, demand for logistics services and transportation especially, it was really off the charts because of accelerating e-commerce, demand for faster delivery and all of that. Um, the report I wrote about this week is in line with the LMI and other recent industry reports that point to the effects of a slowing economy on the supply chain this year. And um, earlier this month, for example, uh, we saw another report from German container logistics platform Container Exchange, and that found that inflation and potential recession are among the top concerns of supply chain leaders worldwide. Um, and they say that the industry is in for a challenging year. Uh, the respondents to that report said that any supply chain disruptions this year will be driven by these uh, macroeconomic conditions. But again, we are slowing down from unprecedented strong growth during the pandemic. So it remains to be seen just how deep and painful a downturn this year may be. Right, as you mentioned, that really wasn't sustainable what we've seen in the last couple of years. So a slowdown is really more of an adjustment back to more normal conditions before things went a bit crazy earlier. Seems that way, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, you were at the National Retail Federation show earlier this week in New York City. And in some ways, it's almost like a Disneyland for retailers to see the latest and greatest. What were some of the highlights you found there? Uh, yeah, that's a good description, actually. Um, th this is the the big retail show that's held in the Javits Center in New York City there. And uh, every year, you know, it's full of brands and vendors and stores, of course. Uh, but, you know, in, in recent years, there's an increasing overlap between uh, that purely retail uh, sort of operation and also the core warehousing and transportation stuff that we cover in the magazine. Um, for sure, this year's show had some of that Disneyland stuff, that the cutting edge technology. There were several talking holograms. Uh, one of them was just repeating a recorded loop, uh, but another one was holding a live video call. Um, I think they were in Kansas City, uh, the, the actual woman uh, whose image uh, was on the hologram. Uh, this is sort of within a um, box, like the shape of maybe a shower stall, if you can imagine it, on the show floor. 
Um, and it was kind of like having a full body three-dimensional Zoom call uh, with the person. Um, there were also smart shelves that we've been hearing about a couple of years uh, that, that can keep track of uh, whatever inventory is on them or it can uh, automatically change the prices. Uh, there was also contactless checkout stores, uh, also called Just Walk Out, where you can just skip the cash register and, uh, you know, stroll out the door with your groceries or items. Uh, that's assuming that you've already registered in the store system beforehand, of course. And another display that got a lot of attention was from Walmart, uh, of course, enormous retailer there. But they were showing off their Go Local platform. Um, they launched it about a year ago, but it's been uh, gaining momentum since. And it's a package of software uh, and Walmart's network of delivery drivers that they've now opened up. So any retailer uh, can become part of this and change their brick and mortar um, store into an omni-channel or doing fulfilling online orders or doing you know curbside pickup. So, uh, so Walmart's system sort of enables that for smaller retailers. Well, that does look like a really fun glimpse of the future, but are some of the cutting edge technologies that you talked about really ready for broader marketplace adoption? Uh, great question. I was a little skeptical about that. Like, you know, the hologram stuff is, you know, gee whiz kind of cool, but I'm not totally sure about the business applications yet. Um, I guess we'll see. Uh, but I was interested that one of the classic warehouse tools um, was also getting a lot of uh, a lot of attention, a, lo a lot of promotion, and that's the basic barcode scanner. Uh, you know, people have been relying on those for everyday tasks for decades, but you still see a lot of improvements every year. Uh, I talked to folks at Honeywell, ProGlove, Zebra, and Scandit. Uh, so a lot of, you know, big companies do, putting a lot of work into this, but they had some neat improvements uh, really to this, you know, boring old scanner that make them really a lot more powerful and easier to use. Uh, I can give some examples. Some of these guns can scan a barcode that's 30 feet away. Uh, so that could be at the top of a tall shelf or in a warehouse uh, at the top of the rack. The newer guns, they can pair with your headset, like for voice-directed picking, or with a ring scanner on your hand, or a hip-mounted printer, so you can print out a new tag or, uh, or barcode or price. They can give feedback in a lot of different ways to the person who's using this handheld scanner. Uh, for example, haptic, which means like buzzing, uh, or visual or sound. So it you know, depends on the preference of the user to some extent. Uh, Talking about the preference of the user, they can communicate in different languages. Um, so depending on the language of the uh, of, of the worker, the associate, uh, or even they can use tunes or emojis, like a happy face or a sad face, to indicate if that was the right choice. Some of them can read multiple barcodes at a single scan. You can take pictures of a whole shelf, and it'll read all those barcodes. Um, some of them had some augmented reality. They can, on the screen, they can superimpose like a green dot over the target that you're supposed to scan. Um, also push to talk communications like a walkie talkie. And one of them, I appreciated this one, allowed employees to check their work schedules on the device in their hand. They can request time off or they can swap shifts with a colleague. So these machines are way beyond the point of just doing a you know single simple job in the warehouse. Scanning barcodes is still a really fundamental part, either in retail or in the DC of, of what we do. Um, but these are increasingly really built around the worker. Um, so it, it'll be really neat to see as, as these, you know, start hitting the marketplace uh, in the coming weeks.
Yeah, some good innovations there. And it will be interesting to see how the technologies like these will be deployed in the future and what will be even coming next after that. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it for sure. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links in the topics that we discussed today. And our thanks again to Brett Williams for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded on Fridays. Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series. It's called Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Beckoff. Have the entire digital fulfillment center at your fingertips with automation by Beckoff. It's digital transformation done right. For more information, please visit beckoff.com slash intralogistics. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.